What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We are starting in chapter 21 today, and we are going to begin with Jesus' triumphal entry. And this is important uh, because you have to realize that we still have several chapters left in the book of Matthew, and there's only about five days left in Jesus' life until his betrayal and crucifixion from this point on. So it's imperative to know that Jesus' physical life is wrapping up. It's coming to an end. But there's still a lot of stuff that's going to be recorded for these next five days leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. So let's dig in. Matthew chapter 21. Let's read verses 1 through 11 together, and then we will talk a little bit. Now it says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, What are you doing? Just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked, and the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, so this is perhaps one of the most iconic passages of Scripture that we have. This is one of those things that usually gets read every Palm Sunday leading up to Easter. Um, And so most people who's been involved in the church are very familiar with this passage. And so if you've heard it a hundred times, I'm sorry, we're going to talk about it today. If you've never heard it before, if you're not that familiar with it, then perhaps you'll enjoy it maybe a little more than people who's heard it a bunch. But I still think it's great for us to talk about. So Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this just sounds a little comical, you know, to just kind of picture this in your mind. He's riding in on a baby donkey donkey, a colt, a a young donkey. Um, And and you wouldn't think that this is something that would be that big of a deal, but it very much was a big deal. And what we have in this moment is a buildup of events that are all converging together in order to fulfill God's plan for salvation. And so you have to see and understand that even Jesus' life, his 33-year-old years on earth, and the last three years of his ministry have all been leading up to this point. And basically, God's plan is bottlenecking in Matthew 21 to, to bring this culmination of events together. And that's why so many chapters are, are devoted to these last five days of Jesus' life. So, so in this passage, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, which happens to be the place that he really has avoided a lot. Um, He's about to enter into the city in style with the multitudes singing his praises. And he has also avoided the multitudes and he's also avoided their praises. The religious leaders are about to apprehend him and put him to death. And he has also somewhat avoided those religious leaders throughout his ministry. So what is it about this moment that Jesus 
is allowing all these things to happen that he has been avoiding and the only explanation that we know of is that it's God's timing and Jesus is submitting to God's will and his word because these things must be fulfilled in order for Jesus to achieve his purpose on this earth and in the town of Bethphage there are two donkeys that are tied up there. Jesus mentions this to two of his disciples. We don't know who those two disciples are. Their names aren't mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, you have to wonder as to whether or not the man who owned these donkeys, the, the mother donkey, the Jenny, and, and then the um, this young colt of a donkey, uh, if he knew that he was supposed to tie these donkeys at this place on this specific day for this specific purpose, or was it just a fluke? Did he have any idea what was going on? But when the two disciples show up and they get the donkeys, they simply say that this is for the Lord. And Jesus said that the owner would let them take them with no qualms about it. There would be no questions asked that this owner would be very willing for this to happen. And so you have to see that in this moment, God is working things out behind the scenes that even something as simple as the owner of a couple of donkeys, which would have been a big deal. This would have been his form of transportation his form of moving around goods, uh, they would have been very valuable to him. And most people during this time didn't have a whole lot uh, of stuff that they had. And so these would have been some very important livestock for him to have. And he was very willing to let the Lord have it and use it. But Matthew, who is writing this gospel, is, and you got to remember this, we said this from the very beginning, Matthew is writing specifically to Jewish people trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And Matthew was very adamant about using prophecies from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah because this would be a very important entity as to whether or not Jewish people would accept him as the Messiah. So even in this moment, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, uh, and the people are singing his praises, and he's riding on this young donkey, um, you have to understand that Matthew is, is referring to several passages of Old Testament Scripture that affirms that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in this moment. So if you look down in the footnotes of your Bible, you're going to see Isaiah chapter 62 verse 11, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, Psalms 118 verses 25 to 26, and Psalm 148 verse 1. This short passage fulfills so much of what God had planned for this moment in time. It had been something that had been written about hundreds of years ago, almost a thousand years before, and it was leading up to this moment. And it is very worthwhile to see that Jesus has always avoided the crowds. He's always avoided fame. He's always avoided, you know, this situation where people are worshiping him and praising him in public. Um, but in this moment... Um, he is yielding to God's plan because he is surrendering to the will of God in order to fulfill the eternal plan of salvation that God had been orchestrating from the beginning of time. Jesus has avoided all these things up to this moment, but for this reason, for this time, he is willing to accept the praise and glory and adoration of the people as he enters into Jerusalem as he's getting ready to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. So let's take a moment 
and talk about the significance of this little donkey or this colt, uh, as the scriptures refer to it as, that he is riding. First of all, um, the majority of people in Israel during this time thought that the Messiah was going to be a conquering king that would deliver them from their earthly oppressors, which were the Romans during this time. But it was a Jewish custom during this time that horses were only meant for war. They were an expensive animal to maintain. They, they were not cheap. They eat a lot of food. They take a lot of care. You have to really baby horses in order to keep them healthy and have them survive. And they're very useful and very powerful. But to just ride one around for everyday purposes is kind of overkill. And the Jewish people understood this. And so supposedly the only time that a Hebrew person rode on a horse was to go to battle. And this is why in the book of Revelation, when you see, uh, you know, you talk about these riders on the horses and then Jesus being on a horse, that is the time for battle <coughs> that he's going to be riding on his horse. But as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem in this moment, he's riding on a donkey. And what you have to understand is, is that the donkey was the preferred means of transportation for the people of Israel during this time. And what Jesus is symbolizing is, is that when he's riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, he is coming in peace. If Jesus would have ridden this great white stallion of a horse into the city, it would have been a, a profession of, I'm coming for battle in this culture. But because he's riding on this donkey, it was a very peaceful uh, time of travel and that he was coming in peace to do something completely different. So when Jesus is entering in Jerusalem, he's not entering as a conquering king, which everyone thought the Messiah would be, but he is entering as a peaceful sacrifice for these people and all the people of the world. Now, another significant thing to understand when, when reading this is, is how ready all of the people of Jerusalem are to make him their king. The disciples are putting their garments on the donkey so that Jesus doesn't even touch the donkey. And then the people of Jerusalem are laying their garments in the road and cutting palm branches and laying them in the road so the hooves of the donkey don't even touch the ground. Now this is huge because they're giving Jesus glory and honor and they're trying to elevate him and exalt him as their king and they're shouting this. Now our translation today did not use the term Hosanna but if you look at your footnotes in the NLT it will refer back to the term Hosanna which is which literally translates as Savior now. Okay so they are shouting the praises of Jesus Christ and they're calling him Savior now. They're referring to him as the Son of God, the Savior now. And this is huge because the crowd is a little confused when they're yelling this because they don't understand that he was not coming to save them from Roman oppression, but he's coming to save them from their sins. They're giving him glory as a conquering king and not as a spiritual savior. And they were associating Jesus with saving them from the Romans right now rather than him being the sacrifice for their sins right now. And this is, this is without a doubt, is the greatest misinterpretation of scriptures in the history of the world. The Jewish people 
most of the religious leaders and most of the Jewish people absolutely miss Jesus Christ as the Messiah because Jesus did not come in the way that they thought the Messiah was going to come. They totally misread it. And, and while they were misreading all this, you have to understand that Matthew is writing his gospel giving all these passages of Old Testament Scripture prophesying of what the Messiah would be. And as Jesus fulfills all these requirements of the prophecies of what the Messiah would be, it is very revealing to these people that, yes, Jesus was the Messiah, even though he did not deliver them from Roman oppression. Now, you have to understand that in this, that they're, they're kind of half wrong. And the part that they're wrong about is very significant because it's costing them salvation. If they're not trusting in Jesus as their Savior, as the Messiah, then they lose eternal life. But the fact that Jesus is going to be a conquering king is still true. When you read the book of Revelation, when Jesus has his second return, when he comes back, Okay, he is going to be a conquering king. Um, he will be riding a horse. He will have a sharp two-edged sword. And he will come and judge the nations and punish those who deserve to be punished. And so they were half wrong about it. But man, they were really wrong about the half that they were wrong about. And, and it cost many of them their eternal life because they saw the Son of God. They saw the Savior. And yet they failed to believe in him. Uh, there were many people in Jerusalem who were willing to worship and elevate Jesus, but Jesus had been avoiding it up until this point. But the time had come for God's plan to be brought forth, and now he's entered into Jerusalem, which is going to be the place that he is going to die. All right? Let's read verses 12 through 17, and let's talk about some of the stuff that Jesus begins to do while he's in Jerusalem and we'll see how far we get for the rest of this study. So in verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He, he sold them. The, I'm sorry. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, You have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany, where he stayed for the night. Now, we don't know how much time had passed from the time Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the young cult on Palm Sunday until he entered the temple. But you have to remember, again, there's, there's a five-day span here before Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested on Thursday night. Now, at, uh, <clears throat> sometimes in here, as, as people are worshiping, and preparing the celebration of this Passover feast, Jesus enters into the temple and, and he's not pleased with what he sees. And, and you got to understand, Jesus has not been in the temple very much because Jerusalem has been a place that he's kind of avoided because the religious leaders have been after him for a while. So 
when he sees these people buying and selling things and selling these doves and, and articles for worship, he drives out both sellers and buyers. And that's important because he's making a huge statement here. And you have to realize what Jesus is saying. Now, these people in the temple, they're exchanging money. They're selling doves and other things to provide people what they need in order for their sacrifices to worship the Lord. And you got to have a little bit of understanding in this moment that there's no telling how long all this had been going on. The chances are that this buying and selling of, of doves and other animals for sacrifices and the exchange of money had probably been going on in the temple long before the current religious leaders had even come to age to serve in the temple and in the religious system. And it was probably just a part of what they had grown up and understood the worship of God to be. But when Jesus comes in, he finds fault in this, and he referred to them as turning the temple into den of thieves. And there's a good chance in this moment that we have to understand that this whole process may have started out as a very genuine way of helping people to worship the Lord. You know, it's like, hey, people come into Jerusalem, they want to worship in the temple, but they don't come prepared with everything they need or, you know, they don't really understand what they're supposed to do. So when they get here and they find out they need a sacrifice, we can provide animals for them in exchange for money and provide them with a way to have these sacrifices. But like most things in the world, we as people have a very natural ability to really pervert um, really good things in this world. And so by the time that Jesus has come, it seems that this whole money exchanging and the selling of sacrifices had become more of a way to make money than it was to worship the Lord and give Him glory and honor. So the temple had become a marketplace and uh, it was made for worship and prayer. And the exchange of money was something that Jesus was not willing to permit in his father's home. So after Jesus makes this bold statement and he has established himself in the temple, then you have blind and lame people who begin to come in to see him and be ministered to. And this would have been foreign to what the religious leaders would have understood or seen during their day because these blind and lame people would not have had money. They probably would not have had the ability to participate in worship, uh, the ability of, uh, of them to go through the cleansing processes of the day in order to enter the temple for worship would have been very difficult if uh, uh, possible at all. Um, and so they would have never been allowed in, but Jesus is welcoming them in and he's healing them. He's performing miracles. And it said the religious leaders were seeing these miracles. And then they were watching the children run around and give praise to God, referring to Jesus as the son of David. And the religious leaders are jealous. They're envious. They're indignant that Jesus is getting so much praise. And they're referring to him as the son of God. So the religious leaders confront Jesus about this. And... Jesus simply quotes scripture. This is what Jesus was great at. Jesus knew scripture better than anybody. And so if you're listening to this Bible study, hopefully you're listening to our podcast or maybe watching some of our online services uh, from Sunday morning. But we're talking about the Word of God. 
and how important it is in our life. Jesus absolutely 100% knew the Word of God. And so the first thing he does is he quotes Scripture and says that, hey, Scriptures say, I have taught the children and infants to give me praise. Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm doing everything according to God's Word and God's plan and you're not. And then Jesus returns to Bethany, and that's where he stays the night until the next day uh, as he continues his ministry on in Jerusalem. But his ministry in Jerusalem is not done. There are, in fact, many more chapters that we're going to read, and they're all devoted to the teachings, the parables, the miracles that Jesus is going to be doing in these next five days. And his time is almost up and there is still so much to accomplish before his life comes to an end. But I want to ask you today, how about you? What do you still have to accomplish? I hope that as I ask that question right now, you're not thinking about worldly things, that you're not thinking about financial things or anything like that, but maybe some spiritual things are on your mind. What are some spiritual things that you would like to accomplish before your life would come to an end? Jesus said, the harvest is great and the workers are few, and we should pray to the God of the harvest to send us more workers, and perhaps we ourselves may be those workers that need to go and do what God has called us to do. So maybe we should be praying today that God would help us to be good harvesters. I hope that you are spiritually focused. Obviously, there are things in this world that we have to focus on in order to live and, and eat and have a place to dwell and raise a family. But, but guys, nothing is more important than the spiritual things of life to make sure that our eternity is settled with Jesus Christ. All right? Let me pray for you. I'll let you go today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time together. God, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives. Use your word to grow us and change us. Help it to, um, to show us the things that are wrong in our life that we need to change. And Lord, use it to um, help us to see uh, the things that we should be doing so that we can grow closer to you. We love you today and thank you so much for the opportunity to be called your children, to serve you, and to be able to look forward to eternal life. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. And if you can't catch us in person on Sunday... Then catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or podcast. We love you and we're praying for you. Have a great week.